back, my friend, and welcome to episode 14 of this Bible study podcast series, Reading Through the Gospel of Luke. We're about a quarter of the way through the podcast series now, believe it or not. I just want to say I have been having a blast putting these out, and I hope that you are enjoying them. Um, if you if you are, maybe consider sharing it with a friend. Send the link. Share the gospel with someone today. As we begin chapter 7 of the Gospel of Luke, verses 1 through 17, if you'd like to read along, reading plans always in the description of these episodes. Let's get into it and let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. When he had finished all his words to the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave who was ill and about to die, and he was valuable to him. When he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and save the life of his slave. They approached Jesus and strongly urged him to come, saying, He deserves to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he built the synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them. But when he was only a short distance from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy to have you enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a person subject to authority with soldiers subject to me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come here, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning, said to the crowd following him, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When the messengers returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. And soon afterward, he journeyed to a city called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd accompanied him. As he drew near to the gate of the city, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he was moved with pity for her and said to her, Do not weep. He stepped forward and touched the coffin. At this the bearers halted, and he said, Young man, I tell you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, exclaiming, A great prophet has arisen in our midst, and God has visited his people. This report about him spread through the whole of Judea and in all the surrounding region. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we've got two awesome, miraculous healing stories from Jesus in our reading today. So the first, uh, this is right after the Sermon on the Plain, which we finished up yesterday, and we're back in Capernaum. We're introduced to a Roman centurion, who is, that's the the title for an important military leader in Rome. Uh, But he's got... He's got a servant who's about to die, but clearly he's of some value to him. So he's trying to spare the life of his servant. And he's he's heard about what Jesus has done, probably some of the, the healing and things that Jesus has been doing in the area. So he sends messengers to Jesus. And the messengers he sends are Jewish elders. Um, and they try to convince Jesus. And apparently the Roman centurion's a pretty good guy. He, they say he's he's worthy to have you do this. He, he helped us you know, build the synagogue. So he greatly respects uh, the Jews and the Jewish people. So Jesus goes, uh, but before he arrives, this is great, before he arrives, messengers are sent out to Jesus with a message from the centurion saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you enter under my roof. 
Why does he say this? That to enter uh, a Gentile's house or a non-Jew, to enter their house or really even to associate with non-Jews and and Gentiles would be unclean, would be ritually unclean for a Jew. And I guess the the centurion must know this. So he's, I mean, he's respecting Jesus and respecting the Jewish practice. And he says, therefore, I, I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. So he's staying far away. He's staying at his house, at his house. Uh, but say the word and let my servant be healed. <laughs> this is incredible. The centurion says, even from a distance, even if you stay far away from my house, you don't even enter into my house, you don't even see my servant, you don't even speak words to him, even if you say it from where you are, I believe you can do it and I believe he will be healed. This incredible faith from a non-Jew, from a Gentile, uh, and this is really Jesus' first real ministry so far that we've seen to a Gentile, but incredible faith from a Gentile. Um, and he kind of he kind of justifies it in a an interesting way that I I find neat. He says, uh, for I too am a person subject to authority, a soldier subject to me. I say to one, go, and he goes, to another, come here, and he comes, etc. Um, so he's, in in some way, well, he's making a, a connection that he can understand as like a Roman centurion, uh, like a military authority. In some ways, he compares Jesus with a military, thor- military authority, uh, that he's saying that Jesus' words have authoritative power the way that uh, military authority the way that he has like authoritative uh, speech over his his subjects and his servants that jesus this centurion believes that jesus has the same authoritative power by his words and this is this is a great contrast that we find in luke's storytelling because we just read yesterday in like the last section of the sermon on the plain jesus just said in luke chapter 6 verse 46 why do you call me lord lord but don't do what i command and then we find the centurion affirming the authority of jesus's words that people should do what jesus commands because what jesus commands is authoritative power where he says, I say to one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, that that should be the response of us to Jesus. So the centurion gives this incredible witness of faith and essentially what our response of discipleship should be. One, that we too, spiritually, are unworthy. We are unclean before Jesus. We are sinners. We fall short. We're unworthy to come into contact and to really even associate with him. Um, but if Jesus simply says the word, then we would be healed and that we should believe that he has that authoritative power uh, and that we should have faith and be obedient to his commands. Jesus is simply amazed, flabbergasted by the the faith of this Gentile, by this Roman centurion. So he cures his servant and says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. That the greatest example so far that we've seen in the story of faith comes from a Gentile, from a non-Jew, in Jesus' first ministry to the Gentiles, uh, which is, I mean, perfect example of why. Perfect example of why Jesus is not simply coming to, to save the Israelite people, but the Gentiles as well, because they too have the capacity for faith. They too have the ability to have great faith in Jesus' saving power as the centurion did. So the centurion gives us two things that he believes about Jesus. One, that Jesus can 
and does save. That Jesus saves and he heals. And two, that Jesus' word is authority and power. And if a Gentile can believe that, if this Roman centurion can believe that, so should I. So should I believe that Jesus saves and that Jesus' word is authority and power. So I too should bring my requests to him with great faith, with expectant faith in my prayer life. I should believe that Jesus heals, Jesus saves, and that his word is authority and power over my life and over the, the suffering that I am going through. Can we too have that same faith and approach the Lord like that in our in our life of prayer? So then the second section that we have uh, is the, the raising of the widow's son. So Jesus then travels to a city called Nain, which is still in the region of Galilee. It's kind of just south of Nazareth. And it says a large crowd accompanied him. And it was kind of a maybe a, an overlooked line before that Jesus, it says Jesus turned to the crowd that followed when he said, uh, when he talked about the centurion's faith. So Jesus, at this point, has a crowd following following him. It says the disciples are following him and an additional crowd. So he's got a, he's got a big traveling crowd in tow. And then a widow comes out, um, comes out of the city, and uh, she has a dead, a dead son, her only son. And it says that Jesus is moved with pity. Well, actually, first, I want to, I want to note, I want to note this, I was going to mention, uh, that it also says, that as the widow comes out and as the as the, the dead son comes out and the, the coffin bearers, it says there's a crowd with her as well. So between the big crowd that's following Jesus and the crowd that just came out of the city, we've got an extra big crowd for what's about to happen, which is, I mean, significant for the significant miracle that Jesus does in front of a big, big crowd. Um, but it says... Jesus is moved with pity as he sees them. No one asked Jesus to do this miracle. Like so far, we've seen miracles where like people have asked Jesus to do something. This one is simply prompted by Jesus's heart moved towards pity for his people, towards wanting their good, um, towards like showing, showing the people the depths of his love. That Jesus has had this, this heart-wrenching moment where he's seen uh, a widowed mother lose her only son, that she's going to be absolutely alone. And Jesus, out of, out of the compassion of his heart, moves towards this incredible miracle, the biggest one that we've seen yet, and no one asked him. He simply does. Um, so we have the widow's dead son. And the connection I want to make with the Old Testament here is that uh, we see a very similar story from Elijah, in the first book of Kings, so 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 23. And I'm going to just read that whole section. So we got a little, we get a little extra Old Testament reading today. So here's the story. It says this. Sometime later, the son of the woman, the owner of the house, fell sick, and his sickness grew more severe until he stopped breathing. So she said to Elijah, why have you done this to me, man of God? Have you come to me to call attention to my guilt and to kill my son? Elijah said to her, Give me your son. Taking her from taking him from her lap, he carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. He called out to the Lord, Lord, my God, will you afflict even the widow with whom I am staying by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out upon the child three times and called out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let the life breath return to the body of this child. The Lord heard the prayer of Elijah, 
The life breath returned to the child's body and he lived. And taking the child, Elijah carried him down into the house from the upper room and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. So very similar story. Very similar story from the Old Testament. A widow's son. So similarities we have is uh, both of these things happen to a widow. Both uh, essentially revive the widow's son, uh, kind of her, her only son. And then, uh, kind of just a side note, don't know if it's important at all, but then Elijah and Jesus, both it both says that they give the child back to their mother. I don't know if there's any significance there, but it's, it's a similarity. The difference is, though, and the, the differences reveal to us a few things. So first is that Elijah simply heals. Elijah simply revives. The words that he says to the mother are, give me your son, and then he takes the son, and then returns and says, see, your son is alive. So it's it's simply like a, a practicality thing where it's, I'll take your son, I'll revive your son, I'll give your son back. Jesus, on the other hand, the words that he says to the widow is, do not weep. Jesus is doing more than simply a physical revival, a physical healing but Jesus is bringing about a spiritual revival of peace. That Elijah is bringing revival. Jesus brings revival and the peace of God to the widow and to her son. That Jesus brings peace. The second difference is that Elijah prays and begs God for the healing to happen. That Elijah is, is pleading with God for, for God to, to heal and revive the son. We have a kind of similar story in Second Kings chapter 4, where the prophet Elisha um, also raises uh, the Shunammite woman's son via prayer in kind of a similar fashion. So in both cases, great Old Testament prophets uh, reviving uh, a dead son via, via prayer, via asking God for it. So in some way, it's, it's really God raising the dead. It's not the prophet. It's not, it's not Elijah or Elisha raising reviving the sun, but it's them praying to God for God to do it. In contrast, Jesus says, I tell you, arise. We don't see Jesus uh, like pleading with God. We don't even see him saying like, Heavenly Father, make this happen. Jesus says, I tell you, in his own name, by his own power, Jesus raises the child from the dead. Does this give us, I mean, I, I don't know how the people react, but this maybe gives some like inclination towards Jesus' divine power, that he raises a child from his own divine authoritative name and power. And what what is most clear here is that if they can make any connection, or if we can make any connection, is that Jesus is greater than Elijah. Jesus is greater than Elisha. Um that he is, he is greater than the prophets of old in what he has just done. The reaction of the people who watch this, it says, fear sees them all. And they say two things. One, a great prophet has arisen in our midst. So in some way, they, they make a comparison to like Elijah and Elisha, the ones who revived uh, people from, from the dead in the Old Testament. Uh, but maybe... And I, I would assume so based on the next thing they say that maybe they start making the connection that something greater is here than Elijah or Elisha. That if they catch the way that Jesus did it, he says, I tell you arise in his own name. Maybe they make the connection that something greater is here than simply one of the old 
Testament prophets. But they also say God has visited his people. We, we heard that those exact words in the Canticle of Zechariah, first chapter, Luke 1, 68, where Zechariah talked about uh, the, the Messiah coming, that God has visited his people. He's come to them to set them free. Do these people mean it the same way? Do they have an inclination, the way that Zechariah spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit about the about who Jesus was? Do these people fully understand who Jesus is? I don't know for sure at this point, but I am certain that they, as it says, fear seized them all and they glorified God that they know something incredible just happened before them. And the one who did it, Jesus, is something amazing. So this is the biggest miracle yet. Biggest miracle yet. Jesus literally just raised someone from the dead in front of a a big crowd too. So lots of people saw this one. And it says, The report about him spread through the whole of Judea and in all the surrounding region. That Jesus is really starting to make a name for himself. If he's really trying to conceal his identity at this point and some of the things he's doing, he's doing a poor job of it and what what he just did. And you've got to think that at this point, There are rumblings going around that maybe this guy might be the promised Messiah that we've been waiting for. That maybe the common folk are starting starting to get hope of who Jesus could be. And and the crowds crowds continue to build and we'll see how this progresses as we continue to move through uh, (laughs) Jesus' public ministry. I'm so glad you're here with me again today. I hope you got something out of it. Can't wait to do this again tomorrow. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.